morning. It is good to see you this morning. As JJ said, it's good to see some faces we haven't seen for a while. Those of you who've been with us uh, shortly after we reopened, we're always grateful to see you, any guests that we have, whether uh, here or online. We're thrilled to have you join us, and we want you to join us in the life of this church as we continue to try to pick up the ways that we minister to one another and minister to the community, and we need you in that, and we want you in that, and so we are glad that, you are, uh, that you're with us. Um, I want to, one, let you know next Sunday, I think it's next Sunday, that we have uh, representatives from Mi Esperanza, which is the orphanage in Honduras that our church has helped support for a long time. They're going to come in and talk to us during the class time, and so all of the classes will be combined in the Wortham Center. And I would invite you to show up and join us for that at 9 o'clock, hear more about that great work, and then we may have them share a minute or two during the service uh, next week, but to give them enough time to share, that's going to happen next week at 9 o'clock, and we would invite you to come, and if you've got kids, bring your kids and let them go to, uh, to their classes. That's a good thing. I also want to take a moment and thank Bryce for filling in and filling in, doing a fantastic job last Sunday, as he always does, but to do that at the last minute. Uh, so I got a, uh, a stomach bug. I was the last domino to fall in the Reynolds family, and a stomach bug and fever hit. And it was a 24-hour bug. It was just a bad 24 hours for someone who preaches on a Sunday morning. So it hit. I wasn't able to go. Bryce did a fantastic job, and I'm uh, appreciative of, of him at all times, but especially jumping in and, uh, and helping out last week. Okay, so I want you to think about for a moment with me, are there certain mornings when you wake up and you see something or you think of something and the thought that comes to mind for you is, you know what, today is going to be a pretty spectacular day. Do you have those mornings, for example, are you the kind of person where if you wake up before your alarm goes off and you feel rested and refreshed and you're like, I don't, I don't need to wait for the alarm. I can, I'm getting up now. I'm getting started on the day. Let's go. This is a good day. Or are you the kind of person that wakes up, let's say, 45 minutes before your alarm wakes, uh, goes off? And you look at the time, and your thought is, sweet, I get to snooze for 45 more minutes. And you, you curl back up under the covers, and, and you just fall back to sleep. Are you the kind of person that wakes up, maybe it's a weekday, or your first thought is, oh, it's a weekday, I've got to go to work. And then you realize, no, this isn't a weekday. This is Saturday. And then you look out the window and you realize not only is it Saturday, but it's a gorgeous day. Or you look out the window and you see it's raining and you say, not only is it Saturday, but it's raining. So that eight o'clock soccer match is canceled. We are set, not that any parent has ever wished for their child's events for any of the kids who are still doing that. But I'm saying, I can imagine there might be some parents who are like, we get to stay home 
this morning on a Saturday. Well, there was a woman about a month ago. She woke up, she posted about waking up, and she saw a particular sight. And once she saw it, she thought, well, this is a joyful omen. Things are going to be good today. And, and rather than describing it, I'm, I'm going to let her words speak for themselves. This is what she wrote. I've always felt drawn to ladybugs. I don't know what it is. I just feel connected to them. This morning on my bed, I found a mama and baby ladybug on my bed, and I feel like today is my day, and something beautiful is going to happen. And then she closes inviting conversation. Do you all have any good luck signs? Now, isn't that lovely? Isn't that just a, a lovely way to, to start your day? She sees this side on her bed, and she's thinking, boy, today is going to be a good day. It's going to be a beautiful day. Hey, everyone, join in the conversation. What, what's a sign for you that it's going to be a beautiful day? Now, you, you may have noticed that, uh, well, there's a, there's a spot where a, a picture could be, and she included a picture, which I, I left off at first, but let's go ahead and and see those, those visitors on her bed. Now, some of you are realizing, some of you may not yet, that those, uh, those ladybugs aren't ladybugs. Let's zoom in right there. Okay, uh, someone, someone help me out. What, what guest did she, uh, do, that greeted her on her bed that morning? Those ladybugs are bedbugs. Let's just leave that picture up for a while. I want to see who starts scratching, just you can't help yourself. You just, you're going to squirm, you're going to scratch. That may just be the image that is behind me the rest of the time while I preach this morning. Some of you are just looking at the ground. You're like, when are you taking that off the screen? Okay, put them out of their misery. You can take it off the screen. I wonder if she wants to rethink that something beautiful is going to happen today. Post. Now, I tell her story because I think it illustrates an important point in this conversation we've been a part of. So we've been talking about navigating our world of conflict. And even more than that, we've been talking about Jesus' call to be peacemakers in a world full of conflict. Jesus reminds us in the Beatitude that blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. It's reminds us that as far as it depends on us, our call is to live at peace with everyone. And so part of what we've talked about when we talked about conflict is a simple understanding, a simple definition of conflict is this. It's when two or more people have ideas or actions that clash. That's it. At its, at its base, that's all it is, which means conflict does not have to be serious. It can be, but it doesn't have to be. And it also reminds us that conflict does not have to escalate and grow and turn into fight on one side or flight on another. Sometimes that's the case. Sometimes that might even be the appropriate response. But it doesn't always go there, which invites certain questions when we enter into conflict and when we're in the middle of conflict. Questions like, 
okay, what am I dealing with here? How serious is this thing that we're talking about, that we're in conflict over? And how important is this relationship with the person or people with whom I'm in conflict? Or to go back to the opening story, is this a ladybug conflict where I do nothing? I just let it go about its own day in its own way? Or is this a bedbug kind of conflict? Where if I do nothing, this conflict will multiply. It will snack on my skin, in my sleep, and make life miserable. Is this a conflict where I need to consider burning the mattress? Is this a conflict where I let loose chemical warfare even if I can't go back in that room for five days because we're going to take care of this thing. We can't let it grow. We can't just leave it alone. What kind of conflict am I dealing with? So last week, the Gassaways read some scriptures before the sermon that were supposed to go with this sermon, but... I wasn't here, but if you were here, you may have heard. They read from Luke 14, and it's these passages where Jesus is talking to would-be disciples. And it's the the count-the-cost passages. Hey, before you build a structure, a tower, you got to count the cost. See if you've got enough to complete that tower. Before a king goes off to war, he counts the cost. He sees, am I even going to be able to win this war? And if not... You set out to make peace before it ever starts. And that's what peacemakers do. It takes discernment, trying to assess the situation, trying to count the cost of this thing that you face. What is the cost of action? And what action and response actually fits this situation? And on the other end, what is the cost, count the cost, of inaction? What does it cost me if I do nothing? If we never address this? And we might ask similar questions like, if we engage in this conflict, like the king who's assessing, do do we really need to go to war here? What would winning even look like in this conflict? What does a successful, healthy outcome look like? Because sometimes it's winning on an issue, even if the relationship takes a hit, and sometimes it's elevating the relationship, even if the issue takes a hit, and sometimes it's walking away before anything happens, and sometimes there is compromise where everyone wins a little bit and everyone loses a little bit, and sometimes... It's collaborating and trying to see if there's a way where everyone in the end can win. And that's the challenging thing when we try to navigate our world of conflict and relationships in which conflict are going to surface from time to time. And especially if we want to be peacemakers in this world, then we realize that takes ongoing prayer and discernment and wisdom. 
which is probably why the issue of conflict shows up so much in the book of Proverbs. And we're going to read several examples there. But the first thing I would tell you is sometimes peacemaking means slowing down. One of the first things we do is we slow down so we can open our ears, so we can better understand others and ourselves and the situation. Proverbs 23 says, it is honorable to refrain from strife, but every fool is quick to quarrel. Now, I don't want to say we're a world filled with fools, but doesn't it feel like we live in a tense, quick-tempered, quick-tongued, quick-to-attack time? And you remember what James says when he talks about this in James 1? Instead of being quick-tempered and quick-tongued, instead, you got to flip that around, James says. Be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. When we slow down our temper, when we slow down our tongue, when we slow down our reaction, then we're better poised to listen and learn, to not overreact, to understand where someone else is coming from, to also get a better grip on where we're coming from. Where we don't immediately respond or lash out before we've thought about it, but we take our time a little bit and consider someone else's perspective and reconsider our own. Peacemaking does not always mean that we have to, in the end, agree with someone else with whom we're in conflict. But it does allow time for us to hear and let someone else know that they are heard and they're understood. And just hearing and understanding, even if we don't agree in the end, goes a long way toward turning down the heat and opening the door for peace. And slowing down helps us avoid unnecessary fights. Helps us avoid taking a basic conflict into an unnecessary fight. Especially those that aren't even our own. So listen to this, Proverbs 26, 17. Like one who grabs a stray dog by the ears. I love that image. Is someone who rushes into quarrels that are not their own. So we've already talked about it. Not every conflict has to turn into a fight. And here's a helpful reminder. Not every fight is your fight. We live in a time when we are connected with people virtually, not just across the street, but across the country and across the world. And a lot of times those connections are with people we don't even know. I'm Facebook friends with people that I'm still like, now how do I know those people? I'm sure I know them somehow, or they know someone who knows someone who I know, and I accepted that relationship. Have you ever witnessed online, in in all kinds of forms, a conflict that's going on, and eventually you'll see in the comments someone says, I don't even know who you are. Why are you commenting on my wall? 
But there's sort of this, this sense of open invitation to jump into any and every conflict, whether or not it is even our fight to fight. It's okay to overhear a conversation in line at Kroger and not jump in with comments of our own or online the same time. And slowing down helps us avoid overreactions. That is, we don't turn simple conflict into big quarrels. So listen to Proverbs 17, 14. Starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. So drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. And sometimes that is the best response. If you can stop it, and you can stop it in a healthy way before it gets worse, then do that. That's one sign of wisdom, is you just stop it in many ways before it begins, before it goes anywhere. Proverbs 19, 11, a person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Or 12, 16, the prudent ignore an insult. There are some things it's okay in the words of the great theologian Elsa to just let it go. Just let it go. Just overlook it. It wasn't that big. Ignore it. It wasn't that important. Now there is a difference between avoiding important issues on the one hand and ignoring and overlooking issues that aren't really all that important. They're not that significant. They're not that big. That's where wisdom comes in when we choose prudence and patience to let unimportant issues slide. And this is another time for self-reflection. Are you the kind of person, or are there certain times when you turn little things into big things? Would your family say you've got the reputation of sometimes turning little things into big things? Are you, I demand to speak to the manager guy? Even at the smallest little things. And if you wonder if you're, I demand to speak to the manager guy, then the next time you demand to speak to the manager, see if your family is making any eye contact anywhere but with the ground. If they're looking down in shame every time you're berating the waiter or the server or the manager might be the I demand to see the manager guy. My son Max loves fishing. Larry Wortham loved fishing. We got several people in our church, they love fishing. Me, not so much. I don't, I don't really, I don't really like it. But my son loves fishing. And it was, what was it, about a year ago, Gary Adams invited Max to join his grandkids and Gary. And we went out to a little stocked pond at the, uh, at the golf course. Uh, Gary's 
Sunday afternoon church service location out at the golf course. And they had the little stock pond, and, and Gary brought all the poles because, you know, like I'm, I'm deficient in, in all kinds of fishing ways. And he, he brought some fresh worms, and he was getting that thing ready. And, and boy, those, it's just tiny. I don't know what kind of fish they are. They're like three to four inches, and you, you cast, and it's in there no time. And a, a fish is by, and you take that thing off to the back, and then you cast, put another worm on. Not me, Gary, of course, is putting the, the worms on, and you, you cast, and he's just catching fish left and right. There's just those little three, four inches, and it's about a month ago, Max's grandfather, Pop, came in for the weekend with his grandmother, and, and Pop took Max fishing over at War Memorial, a little stocked pond out there, and this time it wasn't worms. They had pieces of hot dog, but I think it's the same meat. Don't, I don't know for sure, but those fish were going nuts. They're going crazy on that stuff. They're just biting left and right and left and right. And I'm, we're, we're, our phone is getting blown up with pictures of all the little fish that he was catching. And, and here's what I started to realize. Those tiny little fish, they will bite at anything. They'll bite at anything. Which seems to be a big temptation in our world right now. A pretty apt metaphor. Especially, we are tired. People are tense. Boy, the, the, the littlest little conflict goes floating by and we're ready to bite. Was it two Sundays ago now? I didn't watch it, but I saw all the headlines that came afterward. There was a, a whistleblower that worked for Facebook and Instagram, and I, I think she went on 60 Minutes or one of those, one of those channels. She talked about some, some internal documents that showed that Facebook and Instagram and all their comp companies they own, WhatsApp, that their company, now brace yourself, I'm glad you're sitting down, their company prioritized profits over people. Shocked, right? Absolutely shocking. And here's something else that she exposed to the world. That Facebook privileged posts and videos that angered people over posts and videos that uplifted people. Count me flabbergasted. I never would have guessed. Because Facebook knows, they can see that post that anger and mislead get clicked on about 10, 20, 100 times more than those that uplift. They get the conversation going and the juices going. They get forwarded and sent on and reposted more than any others. But this news isn't news because anyone who's worked in news long before the internet, they could already see that when news was on, news that was negative or dire always got far more eyeballs than news that was positive and uplifting. They could, they could watch as their ratings would plummet during those times.
that bait is floating all around us. But we don't always have to take the bait. Part of being peacemakers simply slowing down. Slowing down our reaction. Slowing down that instinct to pounce. Slowing down what we say and speeding up as we listen. Part of it is just slowing down. Which makes this next one sound a bit like a paradox. Sometimes peacemaking then means speeding up. So I want you to listen to this little discussed teaching of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 25. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Literally, he's saying, I want you to try to make friends with your adversary. And while he's taking you to court, do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Now, I don't want to get bogged down in the discussion of debtor's prison, which has never made a lot of sense to me, and it shows up a few times in Scripture, although to the best of our knowledge, the Jews never practiced debtor's prison. It was something that certain Gentile nations and regions would do, but it never made a lot of of sense to me that if someone's in debt and you want them to pay you back to put them in prison, because how are they supposed to make any money while they're in prison to actually pay off their debt. But I don't want you to misunderstand this because I don't think Jesus' point is about the logic or the ethics of debtor's prison. Jesus' point is all about dealing with this kind of conflict sooner rather than later. There are some types of conflict like we've just been talking about that aren't a big deal, that you, you slow down, you don't overreact. Sometimes you just let them go. You don't take offense. You don't worry about it. But there is some conflict that is a big deal. And even if it's not a big deal to us, it may be a big deal to someone else with whom we are in relationship. And if it's the kind of thing where if you just leave it alone, it's not going to simply go away, but it's going to grow, then what is Jesus saying? Then like an illness, you don't want to let that thing just keep growing and growing. You want to deal with it sooner rather than later. Have you ever, have you ever had a conversation that you know you need to have with someone, but it's one you dread You know it might be uncomfortable. You know it might be a little tense. And so instead of just ripping the band-aid off and having that conversation, sending that email, making that phone call, you put it off for a day and then a day turns into two and then two turn into a week and then a week turns into a month and then you find yourself seeing them at the grocery store and you head to a different aisle. You see them at church and you kind of linger back and let them going first. You, you put it off instead of dealing with it. Does it usually make the situation better? Or have you now, in those instances, just added days and weeks 
and months of anxiety into a situation that you're still going to have to deal with or else the relationship is going to fall apart. It can be tough either way, but Jesus says there are some times when the best thing you can do is get on that quickly so it doesn't get even worse. Try to settle it quickly. Try to turn that adversary into a friend. And sometimes, peacemaking means losing to win. So in 1 Corinthians, we have a church. The church in Corinth is experiencing all kinds of conflict. And you've probably heard me talk about it before and others talk about it. There's all kinds of problems going on. And this isn't like a church in a city like Little Rock where there's churches on every corner and a lot of them don't even know that the other exists or have any interaction. There is one church in Corinth and maybe one or two or three house churches from that one church. But as Paul reminds them in chapter 12, there's your one body. You're one body, you're one people. It's not a big church. And yet he tells us in chapter 6 that some conflict, among the many conflicts going on in that church, there is some conflict that is so bad that one of the members is taking one of the other members in this tiny church. They're taking them to court. And Paul says, you know, this is really kind of embarrassing. And in verse 2, he says, not only is it embarrassing, but the issue which he never names, he says it's small, it's, it's trivial, it's not even that important. So you're taking one another to court and airing the dirty laundry of the church for all to see, and it's not even that big of a deal, it's a tiny thing. And so he asks, isn't there someone in the church that could help you out with that? Maybe arbitrate, maybe mediate. Can't you, can't you handle that in-house? But then he ends with this rhetorical question in verse 7. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Sometimes, when the issue really isn't that important, it's trivial, like Paul talks about, but the relationship is. Sometimes the most mature thing is being willing to take the loss, take the L, so that the other person can take the W. They can take the win. Or so that the relationship can take the win. Or, as Paul says here, so that the relationship of the church and the reputation of the church can take the win. Now, that's not to say in a relationship that you're in over the long haul with. That every time the same person needs to be the one who lays down their wants and wishes, who always takes the loss for the sake of the other. This is not to become a perpetual doormat in the relationship. To lose your sense of self or identity. That's not healthy over the long haul. And if that kind of pattern persists, where one feels like they always need to win, even if the other always loses, and one's like, okay, I will always win because my partner is not mature enough 
to handle if they don't get their way, then that's something you need to work on and maybe someone can, can help you with. It's where a counselor can come in and be a great asset. And I think this is what Paul is reminding. You don't always have to get the last word in on unimportant arguments or conflict. You don't always have to get your way when insignificant decisions are being made. So you want Asian food and your spouse wants Mexican food. Local lime it is. We'll do threefold next time. You, you take the win this time. Maybe next time we can do what I want. She wants to go to the mountains and you prefer the beach. Let's head to Crested Butte. Let's, let's talk about maybe, maybe Destin next year. Can we talk about if we can figure that out for the next time around? But I'm okay to take the L on this one. So the relationship takes the W. I'm okay for what you want this time to take the lead. And maybe we can figure out something new for the next time. Here's the lesson I ultimately hope uh, comes home for all of us this morning. Conflict is inevitable, but it is not all created equal. So peacemaking calls for discernment in the midst of all of it. So the next time you find yourself in conflict, both at the beginning and also in the middle, if it goes on for a while, is to ask yourself some questions. Is this issue trivial? So the best thing I can do is to slow down and to let it slide, to let it go, not turn something small into something big. Or is this issue important where it's important for me to speak up and stand up for this thing? It's important for me to speed up and us to speed up so we can deal with it and it doesn't get, work, get worse. Is there a healthy way for us to move forward? And what does that look like? Is it this time I take the loss and you take the win? And next time you take the loss and I take the win? Is there a compromise that we can find? Is there a way that we can collaborate where we can both work on this and find a solution together? In other words, is this a ladybug or a bedbug? And how would a peacemaker respond? Because every new situation requires new discernment and prayer and wisdom. But here's what we know holds true no matter the conflict. We cannot simply discard our discipleship when it's no longer convenient and we find ourselves in conflict. It is especially at those times when we ask, how do I honor God in everything I say and in everything I do, even in this time of conflict, especially in this time of conflict? Because in all things, in all ways, in all our actions, in all our words, we lift up the name of Jesus.